Men's specialty retail has evolved by an order of magnitude in the past decade. Nowadays, shops or haberdashers have turned into clubhouses and event spaces, and trunk shows are now a common way for clients to check out new brands. A large portion, if not all of this, can be attributed to a small shop down the end of a hallway in Hong Kong's central district, the Armory. Founded by Mark Cho and Alan C., the Armory helped launch the rebirth of menswear in 2010, and also helped turn Italian tailors like Liverano and Liverano, Orazio Luciano, Salvatore Ambrosi into a household name. They even funded documentaries about tailoring. Now, 10 years in, Mark Cho is rethinking a lot of it and what to do in this new world of retail. Let's just say he has a few ideas. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Mark Cho, co-founder of The Armory. Mark and I discuss 10 years of The Armory, including how they built partnerships with Ring Jacket and Liberano, why a higher price tag doesn't necessarily mean a superior product, and why relationships have always been at the center of their success. Look, this was a really special episode for me because if you've been listening to the show or following it for a while, you know where I started. I started at the Armory, and I started with Mark. And Mark is a huge portion of why this podcast exists and why it's grown. And I'm really grateful that he decided to come on and chat with me about it. So without further ado, it's Mark. We're, we're talking Mark Cho and then also 10, yeah. 10 years of the Armory. Man. 10 years is weird. I, I'll be honest, I think it is weird. And that's also why I was really glad that we're talking because when you think of retail stores and you think of stores that have been as impactful as the Armory, stores that have created, like, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, a store that created a genre that like didn't exist until now. The only other store I was trying to think of was maybe Dover Street, which is backed by, you know, Comedy Garçon and all them. And then maybe Colette. And Colette, you know, didn't survive. But I think, and so, I mean, you're, you're like one of the last stores, the true sort of boutique, high-end, contemporary menswear. And I'm like, that's that's huge. I mean, it's Thanks, a huge man. accomplishment. I mean, it's very strange to hear you put it that way. But yeah, yeah. I guess there's some truth in that. Um, well, but it's like a lot of those, and this is, you know, my own personal observation of why some of those places didn't survive was because they, they, at least let's use it Colette, right? Colette basically kept trying to cater to a customer that they thought was there when instead I feel like Colette probably would have been better. And I mean, I've talked to Sarah about this a couple of times, um, had they just like stayed true to exactly what they were. And I mean, that's one of the things that I've loved about the armory is no matter what you weren't like, Hey, we're going to get rid of suits and we're going to just do armory sweatpants. What was Colette about originally? Cause I actually don't know that business nearly well enough. I've only visited it once to be honest. So just for listeners, Colette was the Parisian sort of like very cool high-end boutique that was just weird, obscure, fun things. And uh, initially, Colette was a third-party retailer for clothing, right? Like that's that's what it was. But it eventually grew more and more and more to things like iPhone covers and books and um, headphones and lots of different things that they 
fit underneath their aesthetic, which was this kind of fun, quirky, happy-go-lucky, uh, mixed with, you know, I'm air-quoting Parisian chic, but it never really stayed to what it initially was, which was basically this retail store that that carried all these cool brands and these cool makers before they really caught on. I mean, it was... Union LA is like this too. I mean, I would say they're probably a, a store that's similar to the Armory that's, you know, while the, the aesthetic is different, it's been something that's had a very true North Star and who they are, what they're trying to do, and they aren't going to try to do everything else. Like, Union is not going to sell me <laughs> a car collaboration. I mean, at least not yet. Like, they're not, you know, I'm just saying, like, they're not going to do that. Or insurance, um, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and I think like when I think about the armory, what it was and what it uh, is now still is not that far off. Yeah, I think so. No, it's it's funny you mentioned that because like maybe some like the reasons or the motivations actually have changed and evolved. And yet the product has generally stayed the same, which is kind of interesting when I think about it um, from a higher level. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, like, I think that that's a good sign for men, for this type of menswear, this type of tailored clothing, right? It's just like, it really is an end game thing, um, for a man's wardrobe. Um, and you know, obviously it doesn't have to be the whole wardrobe. I think that there's always, always, always a place for like good Mm -hmm. tailoring in a man's wardrobe. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to jump back and I know you, you've shared this story on a handful of occasions and other stuff and even us privately before, like kind of how did, if you could give me sort of like a brief explanation of the origins of the Armory, because it was you and LNC, and this is like 2008 or nine when you guys were kind of chatting about this, right? On Style Forum? No? We like to call it MalaysianSateEnthusiasts.com is where we met. <laughs> but uh, no, we, we actually did meet on Style Forum. Yeah. In fact, um, Jeremy, I'm very happy to be doing this podcast with you because um, obviously you were part of the team and... Uh, I was hoping today we could actually also kind of explore within the history just how important like all of those former Armory team members were, as well as also celebrate like them and the great things that they've gone on to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure, let's start with like the origins, right? So the origins were like, uh, what was it? Like 2008, I was working in China um, and it really, I was working in, in real estate and it really wasn't my thing. And tailoring has always been my first love, my first passion. And um, I used to intern um, and do like little side jobs for this tailor called WW Chan. And we became very close. And, um, you know, we were doing little projects together. Like I helped organize their London trunk show and I was like their salesman for London trunk show. Um, and I got to learn a lot from them. You know, I, I'm still close with those guys there. And I, I love those guys. I think what they do is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And then concurrently, like, you know, like, being in China with nothing else to do, like I was definitely on style forum for a bit. And um, then like I got to meet Alan C and actually there was like a whole crop of people in that initial style forum crowd um, that would meet up. And we were kind of this funny generation of like style forum menswear guys, right? It was like me, Alan, George Wang went on to start Brio, uh, mm-hmm. Gavin Hempel, who actually ended up um, starting a brewery in Shenzhen, like quite a successful one too. I haven't seen him in a while, but I hope he's doing well. Um, uh, Graham Wong, 
Papa Wongolini or whatever he goes under these days. Right. Um, yeah. Always had a great look, you know. Um, and Ethan as well. Although Ethan wasn't necessarily like part of the Hong Kong group, but we all knew him and he did like, I think he might have joined us for like some meals and stuff. You know, it was like this mm-hmm. like bunch of guys who like to dress and then go out and eat and drink together. And it was fun. It was good. And this was also at a time, just like my one add to that is that like, uh, style form was very much like, if you know, you know, like there was, it was nowhere near as large or as in any way, shape or form is what it was. It was very, very, you know, like a close knit small community. I think there was maybe like, I don't know, a hundred or 200 people on it at the time. I mean, it was, yeah, it was not small back then. now. Yeah. I don't know how many people are on it now, but yeah, it was small back then. And in fact, you know, I think the other thing was back then there were actually more kind of competing forums. Like I remember there's also modernman.com. There's also ask Andy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if those guys are around anymore. I, I don't spend much time on forums at all. So I, I'm really like out of the loop on that stuff, but it is kind of nostalgic. They're not, they it. haven't really existed. Yeah. Super future is still kind of around, but they've kind of, uh, it's, it's there, but it, there's not much action. You know, Reddit is kind of where a lot of people have gone and then Slack groups and things like that. Mm. Yeah. Actually, just as a tangent, it is interesting to see like, um, I I can't remember who was telling me about this, um, but they had a nice summary of it, which is just that like, you know, forums with an audience will, with a specific particular audience um, will never last forever. Like at some point you just run out of stuff to talk about, you know, and then those forum members move (laughs) on and they go do something else and a new crop of forum members have to come and take their place to keep the whole thing like lively and active. And, um, I assume that's what happened with South forum. Like I might not be on there anymore, but they're more popular than ever. Um, and it must be with a, with a completely different crowd from like when, when I used to like read and browse and chat and whatnot on it. Um, but I do think like the modern, sorry, yeah. I'm pouring tea at the same time. Um, I do think like the, the modern, the modern equivalent of it now is WhatsApp groups. Um, like I have a lot oh, yeah. of, you know, as like a watch collector, right? Like there's a lot of watch collecting WhatsApp groups. I mean, even in a cigar smoking WhatsApp group <laughs> and okay, it's just like, it's, it's actually like, <laughs> It's funny. It's in some ways, it's like the forum boiled down to uh, its essence. In that, I think that the forum is not necessarily about information. It's actually about just like connecting with people who are like-minded and like all getting to do like this very specific niche thing together, right? So, like for instance, on the cigar forum, uh, on the cigar WhatsApp group, I'm in. It's just guys posting their hand holding a cigar in the place they're in and then everyone going that's an awesome photo of an awesome cigar and yeah and it's just like a lot of backslapping and i like it i think it's funny i i never post anything because half the time i'm like smoking the emergency stairwell of the office right so it's like this is too pathetic to post i can't post this (laughs) but like i appreciate like the camaraderie that these guys have um among each other even if i'm not necessarily always privy to it right right no, but I was going to say, I think that's that's kind of what makes all of those things special is the sense that they're really the, the, the common thread throughout all of these groups was generally a singular focus. And, you know, for style form, it was it was, you know, classic menswear, these cigar groups. It's just the cigars. I mean, sure, someone may 
share a car or a watch or any of these things but like generally there's there's a <laughs> the theme of the of the message board governs the conversation you know what's funny actually with the whatsapp groups sorry i'm staying on this for so long but no you're what's fine group, what's what's interesting is that i don't notice people splintering off and then like hang out in real life hmm. whereas like with style form what was cool was that like the hong kong people who like to dress guys just like got together and we would have drinks and dinner and stuff and that was that was really fun and i i sort of wondered will this happen with the whatsapp groups because it doesn't seem to happen like you don't make it doesn't seem like people are making friends in these whatsapp groups so i don't know oh maybe i'm just not enough of them yeah or maybe i'm just not in the right ones either hmm. anyway going back to potted history um so helping out w of a chan eventually um chan is like oh, we are thinking about leaving our store in Kowloon and we want to open a store on Hong Kong side since all of our customers are over there anyways. Can you help out? And since I like know some people in the industry, I was like, yeah, yeah sure, I'll look into it. So I looked at a bunch of sites um, and I found one that I really liked for them. And I was like, yo, you should take this site. Like, It doesn't look like much. Um, it's on the third floor of an old building and the building itself, you know, it's a heritage building. It's beautiful, but it's not that well kept. But the rent should be pretty cheap. Um, you guys don't necessarily need like walk-in traffic anyways. And it's right above the subway station. Um, I think it could really work. And they were interested, but in the end, they um, in the end they passed on it, which was too bad. Um, but you know, I understood where they're coming from. Like it was quite a it was quite a scary jump for them, I think. Um, mm. And you know, so fast forward like another what was it another probably year year maybe even mm -hmm. two years um for various reasons in my private life uh i decided to move on from real estate stuff and um so i left that and i i was thinking oh man i really would love to do a menswear project and at the time alan and i were close and um he was about to get shipped out to um, New Jersey to run logistics warehouses for Lee and Fung because Alan used to work for logistics for Lee and Fung. Mm -hmm. And um, he didn't want to do that. Uh, he wanted to stay in Hong Kong. So I said, well, let's let's try and do something together. And um, so we kind of talked about ideas and stuff. And then that is roughly um, how the armory was born. And, uh, you know, obviously we had to try our best to like stitch it up because we were new in the industry, didn't know anything, didn't know anybody. And um, so we went back to W Chen and we're like, listen, like that store you passed on, like we're thinking about taking it for ourselves, but would you be willing to let us be your like partner for Hong Kong? And thankfully hmm. they said yes. And so a lot of the initial Armory customers were um, WW Chen customers, which was cool. Oh, dang. Yeah. And, and something that like I kind of want to uh, speak to a bit is that I think – a lot of people, just because of the history of the armory, kind of assume that like you arrived fully formed and uh, totally planned out. And and I think what's what's kind of cool and not really discussed is like, I mean, didn't you tell me? I think at one point and that like the where the initial location of the armory was like wasn't really favorable based around. Oh yeah, you know like it being at the end of a hallway and all of these things that like you guys were like, well, no, that's good enough for us. Like, you know, you, because the, just the, the Petter building. So folks know it's not, 
ground level like you you know it's it's you you take an elevator to get there and then you walk down a long hallway but you had said initially that like the location of it kind of made it favorable rent wise but may not have been favorable and maybe was it it was it chinese culture wise or yeah for feng shui reasons um our location was like death um we were at the end of a long corridor and when you're at the end of a long corridor, it means you're at the end of your life. Um, so people typically don't pick those spots. And that's why I think the spot we took was unoccupied for like 10 years or something like that. Like we had to wow. like resume, like we had to pull power back into the space because there was no power in the space. Um, so it was, you know, it was, it was perhaps slightly against conventional wisdom. But I mean, obviously it's look at this 10 years and it's still there and you're still going. <laughs> so it's still there. And funnily enough, like I don't think I'll ever leave that space. I, I just love it so much. And it's so much a part of me that like, I, I can't imagine not being in that physical space, you know, like I, mean, I spend probably more time there than I spend at home. Really? If you exclude, if you exclude sleeping. Yeah, potentially. Sure. And I mean, and also I think at the time too, like when you had it, you know, it wasn't like, you know, oh, the the, the greatest architects in the entire world are going to make this and we're doing all these focus groups and all of this stuff. Like, I mean, it was some of your friends from school that helped design it and you guys, I think were building it out. I mean, similar to the New York store, like building it out literally yeah. hours before opening. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will definitely save that story for later, but um, yeah, like. I designed the store with my middle school classmate, Catherine Wong, um, who is a very dear friend of mine. And um, she, very fortunately for me at the time, had just left SOM, uh, the architecture firm in New York, and came back to Hong Kong and she was looking for projects. So I think we were like the first, if not one of her first projects in Hong Kong. Hmm. Um, For the logo, I actually got a lovely guy named Kevin Roberson, who I also met through Style Forum, believe it or not. He's based in San Francisco. I got Kevin Roberson to do the design with me. And um, I don't know if I ever showed you, Jeremy, like the old versions of the logo. Oh, I remember. Oh, okay. Because it could have been, yeah. it was. It ended up being aligned with the flag because we really wanted something with a bit of a sense of humor. But um, it could have been a bulldog, which wasn't bad, which is okay too, but maybe a little cliche. Um so I'm I'm really happy I got to work with Kevin on that project, and I haven't talked to him in years, but I hope he's doing well as well. Um, but speaking of like the very very beginning, where like yes we well, like we had like we definitely had a plan because being a bunch of nerds, we were like oh my god if we show up at a supplier without a plan they won't sell us anything. Hmm. So I like stayed up all night writing all these plans just so I would have something to like present to people like Ring Jacket. Um, for instance, you know, that was like one of the most exciting suppliers for me to get. And I was, you know, I was like, okay, well, we're dealing with a Japanese company that's, you know, relatively big and we need to be like respectful and professional about this whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I prepared a business plan and blah, blah. And I remember, um, my mother-in-law actually helped me look over the business plan and was like, this is not professionally written enough. Like, you need to fix this, this, and this, and this, and this. And so she, like, helped us fix it, too, which was awesome. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. Because she was, um, she used to have her own marketing company, and she was very good at, like, this sort of communication. And so she was like, yeah, you should improve this, this, and this. So she was super helpful. So thank you. Thank you, mother-in-law. Thank you, Marisa. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, Emmy, my wife, like, Emmy, um, was with us on all those initial trips and she was acting as the translator and making sure like culturally we didn't 
do anything stupid, but I still managed to do something culturally stupid. I remember, like, <laughs> actually, I should start from the top. So, like, we presented the business plan ring jacket. We're going to start this men's store in Hong Kong. It's going to be multi-brand. Um, could you sell us some stuff so that we can populate our store with your lovely goods? And uh, I met Sasamutsan, who was the director of sales the first time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we presented everything. We asked him, he said, okay, give me a second. Like, I need to talk to the president, Fukushima-san. So he disappeared for a while. I came back. And then Fukushima-san came out, and I talked to Fukushima-san for a while, and he became comfortable with us, and he was like, okay, I'll, I'll green light your order. Perfect. Um, and so I said, thank you very much, and blah, blah, blah. And I remember like a couple of trips later, uh, as I was leaving the office, I said like, Jane. And Jane is like, um, as a goodbye, it's like like the most casual goodbye possible. It's like, see you later, dude. And, was, <laughs> and then Emmy was like, Emmy looked at me like with her just like mouth agape. She was like, what are you doing? You can't say that to the president. I'm like, oh no, nuts. Uh. I didn't realize. So it was embarrassing. Um, but yeah, there you go. Like that was that was a little bit of like how we started with, with Ring Jacket. Actually, um, you know, one of my favorite stories about Ring Jacket is that uh, years later, I was like, so why did you sign that agreement with us? Because we were just a bunch of yahoos anyways. And he was like, well, you know, you guys showed up and you dressed nice. And hmm. uh, that was good enough for me. He was like, I appreciated the fact that you guys seemed to like clothes. And I wanted to do business with people who like clothes. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, in, in the you know, in, in this thing that I keep trying to call back to is like when it came out, it people were really really caught off guard by it because when when the Armory launched, it was it was completely unfocused yet very very focused in the sense that it wasn't like we only have manufacturers from here or we're only doing this or we're only doing this like you had carmina footwear you had ring jacket you had um now there was an aesthetic that existed but in a weird way the fact that you guys were so new i'm air quoting like to the industry i think that gave you perspective that you may not have had had you been entirely bathed in it your entire life i mean and even with brands like like your whole concept of doing trunk shows and bringing very 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 small people over without a a guarantee of what they're going to sell or what they're going to do i mean that that in most business plans now if you look at it someone would say no never do that that's like a horrible horrible risk but you guys Mm -hmm. did that and it paid off in a massive way yeah i think that it was interesting like not being saddled with a professional background yeah. in clothing. Yeah. You know, like it made us do a lot of things that were probably uh, as I've said before like against conventional wisdom. Yeah. Um and I'm glad it worked out. But actually the the selection of the store um from the earliest days uh you know, we'd already come up with the tagline international classic artisanal clothiers, right? That's right. Um, yeah. Which is a real mouthful. But the whole point of International Classic was that we felt like we love classic clothing. We don't really mind that much where it comes from. If anything, we think it's worth celebrating like beautiful things and the places that they actually come from. And I think that, um, especially in Hong Kong, where basically everything cool is imported anyways, like mm. it's a very Hong Kong sort of attitude. You know, like Hong Kong being a free port, right? There's no duties, there's no taxes. Hong Kong being a free port like has always been the place where great stuff gathers because partly because people have the money to buy it, but also because it's just so easy to get it here and put it out on a shelf and sell it too. Mm. So it's a very interesting like 
trading port um, for that reason. And, you know, it definitely influenced like our starting position of being like international classic. Plus yeah. on top of that, like it's, it's always been interesting looking for what I call authentic goods, right? Like goods that could not be born in another place. Um, so for instance, like take the example of say like Liverano and like Florentine tailoring, right? Like right. the whole point of Florentine tailoring is that it couldn't have been born north or south of Florence. Like it has to be from Florence because Florence culturally and geographically like has its own history, its own significance. And that that history and that culture is also relative to what happens in Milan or in Naples. You know, like they don't want to be those guys up north. They don't want to be those guys down south. So they have to like carve their own identity too. And um, that's what I mean by like an authentic good. Like I think that that's something really interesting and something that is maybe disappearing if I want to be kind of a curmudgeon about it or maybe just like it's evolving, right? Like the world is becoming much much more homogenous these days. Um, mm-hmm. So it's harder and harder to find those like very, uh, those very like insular islands of goods. Well, how did you fact, find One of the reasons why Japan. Uh, Liverano was because um, Scott Schumann, Sartorius had featured it and um, Ethan was interested. And so we went out to see him. And I have to actually um, really speak at length about Ethan because uh, mm-hmm. Ethan Newton uh, at the time had just left his career at uh, in Australia with one of the great men's stores there. I, I think it was Herringbone. Um, he had left Herringbone. He was looking for a new opportunity. And we were sort of friendly off of style for him. And he was like, listen, like if you ever need any help, call me. And then um, he, it just so happened like when we were opening uh, in those first couple of days, he was in Hong Kong too. So he was the one, he was like the real experienced retail guy who helped us figure out like how to put items on the shelf that don't look stupid and how to like, like all that nitty gritty operational store management stuff, like he really, really helped us with. And Mm. like for that, I will always be like eternally grateful because whereas Alan and I, like we liked product and we knew how to handle people um we didn't necessarily fully understand like all of the details of what goes into running a retail store um so we had ethan and then we also had a lady who's still with us joey lee um who came as the store manager of berluti to our store and she was also very important in like helping us get set up and like um taking care of a lot of like the i guess like the local Hong Kong things that you might need to do to get a store set up, hmm. you know, stuff like arranging for the right cleaning company to come in, um, arranging for trash collection, like stuff like that. You know? Right. Cause I had, I had moved to Hong Kong to do this business. So I was, um, from relatively, where? I had moved from Shanghai to Hong Kong. Oh. And so I was like relatively new in the city as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. So anyway, um, Ethan, huge asset, and um, I still can, well, I consider him part of the founding team, mm-hmm. you know, like he wasn't there necessarily from day negative 100, but he was definitely there from day zero. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause that's, it, it was, it, you know, looking back at it now, I, cause I remember 
at least for me and maybe the rest of the world, or at least outside of Hong Kong, everyone was kind of experiencing this through Tumblr, right? Because at the time... The, yeah, Tumblr know, was big. Yeah, Tumblr was massive. And, you know, you guys had announced it and announced that it was going to open. And, you know, the imagery of of everything that was there, it was, it was kind of this perfect blend of um, stuff that was maybe, like, more marketable what I'm wearing today type stuff. Because, like, when you think of, like, a lot of Tumblr and the, the kind of enthusiasts of that time that were into it, most of it was just, like, people taking fit pics. But yeah. you guys turned fit pics into retail looks. But... In a, in a way that felt like very, very like aspirational. We got super lucky with Tumblr. So Tumblr wasn't originally our idea. We had this young guy named Arnold Wong who I can't remember how he found us, but he had, he was, he was like 18 and he hmm. really wanted to start his own like Hong Kong clothing brand called Colonial Goods um, that was selling like um, Hong Kong style, like Henley, uh, Hong Kong Henley style t-shirts and some other stuff. And he was like, Hey, you got to check out Tumblr. Like, this is a great way to like build an audience and get pictures out there and blah, blah. And then, um, that's how we got onto it. Cause we actually predated the Tumblr boom slightly. I think oh, yeah, Arnold for sure. kind of hit the scene. Like, I think Arnold got in touch with us maybe like six, nine months after we started. Um, yeah. so it was like not, uh, yeah, so it, it, it definitely helped us build momentum after we started. Yeah. Cause the first couple of months was like, um, style forum, local media, WWCHAN customers, uh, and then word of mouth. That was really like how we were initially trying to get going and you know, it was okay, but like being on the third floor with no walk-in traffic, like some days you just sit there for like hours and like nobody's coming in, mm. which in fact was kind of a good thing because that's what gave us the time to like go and shoot all these photos or write articles or whatever it may be to like get things going yeah yeah it's true i mean you guys didn't really sit and wait for customers you were still making stuff and just like building up this sort of brand cash in the meantime and so that i mean because i think when i under you know found you guys there was quite a bit of of imagery and stuff online like the world digitally to me looked very complete yeah we were lucky um i did some of the photos initially but Mm -hmm. ethan definitely spent a lot of time working on the photos and you know (laughs) this is really like related to the site that we're in right like considering that our shop is at the end of this corridor it means that we're basically on the corner of the building right um we get great light especially from say like 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. We get really beautiful light out of our windows. Mm. And that's kind of what gave a lot of our photos, like just that little bit of extra magic um, Mm -hmm. compared to if you were to like do it some other way, you know? Uh, It's really hard to replicate the light that we get in in that particular window. So if you look closely at a lot of our photos, actually the light is very similar because we're always shooting it at that spot and ethan used to come in early a lot to shoot those photos like he got really into photography and he really loved coming in to just like do what he could with that light plus he had a great eye for like composition and for placing items and placing elements in such a way that people look at it and they're just like wow that's like such a great image i really want to know more about this product actually even buy this product you know yeah i mean for me the best example was ties right like seeing a picture of a tie 
basically the majority of my life, I would be like, that's trash. Like that looks bad. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't look weird. I mean, I mean, everything about it was just, it was, it was not enticing. It yeah. was not alluring. Yeah. And you know, I was like, wow, like leave it to the armory to actually make me into a tie, but through a picture of it. And in most cases, it wasn't even like on someone, right? It was like wrapped in a shoe or around, you know, some sort of piece. And you're like, I'm like, and so like that, that to me is like the, the perfect explanation of that it was like things that I really, really loved, but no one up until you guys were able to display that or communicate or merchandise it in a way that made me feel connected to it well thanks man i appreciate it yeah of course who was your first trunk show who was our first trunk show yeah i think it was liverano i'm pretty sure i think so too it yeah. was either liverano yeah. or was gaziano and girling it was one of those two. Oh yeah g and g they were an early vendor that's right, right. g and g yeah. were, were with us yeah g and g was with us from the beginning I remember there were like a few products in the store that we were like, are we going to be able to sell this? This is so expensive. You know, <laughs> G&G was one of them. Orazio Luciano was the other one. We were we were like, mm. oh my God, this jacket. We were selling it for, at the time, like 16,000 Hong Kong dollars, about two grand US. And we're like, oh my God, will anyone buy this? Do people, do people spend this much money on jackets? But it was like <laughs> such a beautiful jacket. So we're like, okay, we got to try it. We got to try it. And then, like, here and at this time, the 30,000-foot view, like, if, if you're building a retail store now, you know, when when people think about Sid Mashburn and all these other great, you know, haberdashers or whatever you want to call them, th- the concept of good, better, best, um, you know, it, it was a part of their DNA. You know, like, that's what Sid's trying to do. That's what all these other sh- shops are trying to do. Did you realize that you guys were building this, like, in terms of, like, good, better, best? So as in like you have like an entry level product, a mid range product, and a high end product. Yeah, but I wouldn't say entry level. I mean, ring jacket is not entry to me. I mean, it's still a very a premium product. It's... You know, like I've never actually looked at our catalog from that lens. Um, I know s- some people do because it's easier to understand what we do that way. Because obviously, like people will always describe price like people always correlate price with quality or price with you know how good this thing should be, right? But right. it's like personally, for instance, I wear my ring jacket as much as I wear my Liverano, despite one costing a quarter of the other. And um, hmm. for me, what was more important was that like, yes, there are different price points um, because obviously commercially we do have to like try to appeal to a broad range of people, but the product at each price point is pretty different from the last one. You know, like you can hmm. definitely like appreciate and enjoy the entry level product uh, over and as an alternative to the top end product, you know, I don't think you could necessarily unequivocally say like, it's a better product. It's better in certain ways, you know, like it's cool to have that extra handwork. It's great to have that premium cloth, like, and like there are certain techniques obviously in the top end stuff and the bespoke stuff that you just don't see in the, in the machine made stuff. But I still like the machine made stuff, you know, and I, I encourage every customer to just like judge each product, um, on whether you like it or not, whether it's suitable for you or not, rather than just like, oh yeah, I got to like jump up to like the most expensive thing. I think what's also interesting is that mm. as people become um, more and more into our products, um, they certainly do kind of graduate, right? They start ring and they move on to Ratio and they move on to Chicho or Dembeck or Liverano or whoever it may be. Um, but 
oftentimes they also gain a new appreciation for like the cheaper products. They're like, oh, you know what? Now that I kind of know more about tailoring, I'm like, oh, these these entry level products are actually pretty special, just in a different way too. So they end up buying like the cheaper products too. It's nice. Like I, I I'm glad that people are able to to see the product clearly like that, rather than be just like swept away by price tag and price tag um, implications. What does the new work from home wardrobe look like? Some of us are going back into offices and some of us are staying put, but all of us are looking for something better for our wardrobe. P. Johnson is a custom men's clothier with a focus on soft tailoring, comfort, and a natural laid back elegance. With their own private factory in Italy and lush showroom in New York, Sydney, Melbourne, or London, you can easily stop in and see for yourself. Or check out one of their trunk shows. They even do virtual appointments now. They'll call you on FaceTime, Zoom, Skype. It's easy. Patrick and the crew just released their new winter ready-to-wear collection, and it's fantastic. Like the technical field jacket, or my personal favorite, the vegan suede overshirt. It's a put-together look, but not contrived. Simple, elegant, and flattering. And if you want something special, you can make something new, and you're not going to wait around nine months. We're talking a few weeks. So visit pjt.com to view it and learn more. P. Johnson builds individually crafted top-to-bottom wardrobes for men and women, so you can even nab some stuff for him or her. I have bought tons of MTM and MTO tailoring, but P. Johnson ticks every box for me. From the price, the style, the fit, everything they ever make is an extension from the last. So you don't need to worry about what season it was from. It's always about improving your wardrobe bit by bit with their quality pieces. So visit pjt.com to learn more. Or geez, go to their Instagram. You'll see their new eyewear collection, overshirts, and some of the best styling you'll see on any runway or catwalk. It's a vibe. It's P. Johnson. Yeah, because it, it's not like something you you graduate from and then never go back to. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then this is kind of where I ended up meeting you because I met you uh, at PT of 2011 or 12, maybe. Um, and yeah, because you yeah, had... January. What was your brand? Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> fine. I forget it. Uh, run of the mill. So, I mean, it, there we, we go. Were, run of the mill. Yeah. And you're John Moy, too. Yeah, me, Moy, and Lawrence Schlossman. And Lawrence Schlossman. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And we were trying to basically be this sort of, you know, kind of copying a bit of everyone, but just making things, I mean, totally selfishly, so we could try to go to pity, too. So we get, but I remember. You know, there were a lot of people that I had reached out to early on um, about kind of trying to make some form of a connection. And you were one of the very, very, very few that actually responded and was welcoming to me. And because a lot of other people were like, who are you? Like, like, you sure that doesn't off, sound yeah. like me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you, you were. I mean, well, like, you know, to, to jump back really quickly, I mean, that that because that characteristic existed when you would answer questions on Tumblr. Do you remember that? I mean, I still answer questions all the time. I just think it's part of like what we do in our service, right? I spend like probably an hour to two hours a day just answering like Instagram DMs, like questions about product on my IG. Um, and if I can still find the time, YouTube as well. Because I think that's Jeez. really important, right? Like as a small business, um, you you really have to like be in touch with people. And you know what? Like, as a small business, you don't have the marketing budget of like Hermes, right? Like the best you can do <laughs> is like as a figurehead of the company, 
you make sure people feel like they're getting taken care of. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's just pretty rare. That's someone of kind of your level. I'll just be honest. It, it was the person responding. Generally, people will have, you know, your customer service person to do it, you know. And, and I think, you know, looking back, I mean, I was very, very... um excited by like oh dude like you know like mark like responded to me like you know we're gonna see him out in pity this is gonna be cool like i might get accepted you know <laughs> like uh serious i mean and so that that was because <laughs> you know you and this is similar to other folks that you've hired and stuff over the years like you've been someone who whether you realize it or not has really empowered others um in the sense that like like you know i'll use me for example i didn't come from retail i was working in a music I was working at a record label. Mm. Uh, I was trying to do my own thing in clothes and fashion, mm. but you, you know, took a chance on me and kind of helped bring me into this world of, you know, menswear and fashion. Same, you know, same thing with Jeff Hilliard. I mean, I'm not going to speak for him, but like, you know, he had, he had come from a different background too. And, you know, because we kind of stayed in touch via email off and on. And then whenever you'd, you'd come to, to New York on occasion, you know, we'd get a drink or something somewhere, yeah. but like, because I remember hearing you're like, yeah, I'm thinking about maybe doing a store in New York. And I mean, because it, it was a super lean team. It was like me, Jeff, and Nick, Nick Regasta. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Nick Nick who's at Stofa, Jeff who's at Hodinki, and me, I'm sitting here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, I'm very happy for you guys. Like, I'm very happy all you guys moved on to like these great projects too. Well, yeah, but I would say, and all of us have said this, like the... Nick, Jeff, and I occasionally are on like it's either an Instagram thread or, or an iMessage thread where we will reminisce about being out in Hong Kong, <laughs> you know, and and just like the stuff that happened. Because oh, like full disclosure, yeah. obviously, like everyone knows who's listening to this. Like I, I worked for Mark and and helped open the the Armory New York store and was there a few years. And um, when before the store opened, Jeff, Nick, and I all went out to, you know, the mothership, went out to Hong Kong yeah. for like training. Yeah. And it was, it was Ethan, Jake Grantham, who's also doing his own thing, and you and Alan. And we were all out in Hong Kong and it was, geez, it was the time of my life. I was singing karaoke with you, ripping my pants open on accident and like losing. I mean, it was some of the. <laughs> It was amazing. Didn't we do flaming Lamborghinis one night? Uh, yes, we did. <laughs> that was on my birthday, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I remember, like, we got you, we got you, like, by Hong Kong standards, it's what was like an okay apartment, but it was a little <laughs> scary in there. Like, and it took us a while, even just to find an apartment that would have like three beds and yeah. like what was it? I think each bedroom had a bathroom yeah each, each bedroom one, had a bathroom and but it was it was also because we were out there i think for like three weeks at least for the first to kind of like train and, and figure things out and and get to know how we were going to duplicate this store and the experience the unique experience of what the armory was at the time to new york I think Airbnb wasn't around back then. I think that was why I know it was it, also difficult. It to definitely like wasn't. At least not as as widely used as it is now. I mean, yeah. maybe it was, but I mean, I don't think. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so funny. <laughs> but it was like, I mean, when you when you look at every other sort of, you know, big retail company or even like menswear store, uh, 
you know, again, it kind of comes back to what you were doing that was like very, yeah, I mean, you said unconventional, like, uh, I mean, just to even hire us jokers, um, you know, that, that was, that was special. And in a lot of ways, I mean, you kind of helped put us all on, I'll just speak for myself and stop speaking for them, but like at least put me on a path that kind of like kept me more cemented in the industry that I was obsessed with anyway. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I mean, no, of course. you know, it goes both ways, right? Like at the end of the day, we are always, we are always going to be this funny operation. Um, so we definitely appreciate when people choose to work with us. Cause there are also plenty of places out there that people could go to instead of us. But um, you know, our quirks aside, I do think we are kind of a special place to work. Like I think you get access to a really like craft focused business. Um, that's not necessarily so bottom line focused. Um, and I think we have pretty low rates of staff turnover as far as these things go. I mean, we have a lot of people who have been with us for 10 years now. And uh, I think sentiment in the company is okay. You know? Yeah. I, I am like, it's evolved and it's improved, but I, I'm, I'm pleased with the progress that I made there. Because I think that there were a lot of things I could have done a lot better. Um, but I think at least like I got a bit better at them. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that shows true maturity to be able to look back at those things and be like, okay, like, you know, like, look, I mean, every business has ups and downs, right? But like, there's never been an instance where you're like, all right, just let's just can it or let's totally pivot and start selling all of these things that are in no way, shape or form connected to the core of international classic, classic menswear, like oh, artisanal clothes, right? <laughs> until today, until this year, that is until COVID came along. And now it's like really necessary to think about how to pivot, Oish. but we'll get into that later. But, <laughs> well, but I was going to say, but I mean, we can, we can even get in that now, but like you haven't, I wouldn't say you've pivoted to anything that different. I mean, you, you've pivoted to maybe your communication style, but like, you're not like not selling clothes. You're not like, hey, we're just going to switch into sweatpants now. Like we're, we're going to totally like pivot through the uh, our entire aesthetic and only sell, you know, workout gear and Peloton bikes. <laughs> and, oh, and man. Brands are, will do that because they're like, well, you know, let's just try this. You know, this is how we can have the best year ever, or the best year ever. And And I think in a lot of ways, like the fact that, the armories had this kind of North star has been the reason why we're at 10 years and I'm sure there'll be 10 more. Yeah. It's, you know, and cause you've used this phrase North star a few times. Like I think the North star is North star is obviously like an overriding respect and admiration for classic clothing in general. Right. Um, everybody who passes through the armory, like mm-hmm. you only come here because you really like suits. Like, um, but I think it's also a little bit tied to my own stubbornness and um, maybe even a little bit of risk aversion. And that's when like, I really feel very grateful mm. to like a lot of the people that I've worked with um, for always trying to like, always trying to push into some new direction. And at the time I'll always be like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But for those people, like the armory might not have been able to um, to force its evolution like that. One of the things that I have liked and admired a lot about you in the sense like, okay, let's just, when you think about say an American aesthetic of business, right? It's usually 
unfortunately, really ruthless. And, you know, something that, you know, as an example, you just like, well, let's, we're just going to do whatever we want to kind of crush anyone. And it doesn't really matter. And it, our reputation doesn't matter. It's about just being the absolute best. And if we have to, you know, mess with our vendors, if we have to mess with these people, we're just going to switch to whomever we they can give us the best rate and the best deal. And anyone who doesn't, you know, kind of come to our demands, we'll cut them off or we're going to fine them on this or withhold payment. And something and maybe it's i don't know and i'm curious like maybe it's because the armory is so personal to you but there is a lot of honor and integrity in how you've always wanted to operate that business and and a perfect example would be you know not trying to ask too much too soon or and i mean that's very unique yeah i think that that has that is a key part of like just building a good relationship Right. Like, for instance, when we took the ring jacket stuff into like when we wanted to start rebranding the ring jacket stuff, um, I remember Fuchima-san um, just mentioned like, oh, OK, I totally understand like where you're going and where you need to go with the company. Um, you know, it's just a little sad. And I'm like, you know what? I feel sad about it, too. Fuck it. Like, let's just leave ring jackets name on the garment. So that's why it still says Model 3 by ring jacket rather than just like the armor model three, you know, because like mm-hmm. I really wanted to, like it was important to him. And so I was like, I would rather try and make sure he feels taken care of too. Um, mm. I had a customer um, who's quite a famous barrister actually, and, and like a very wise person. And he deals with a lot of, um, he deals primarily with like, international conflict. So like if this country wants to sue this other country, he deals with like conflict at that sort of level. And he said something to me that I will never forget and has always kind of stuck with me, um, which is, you know, at the end of the day, the law actually doesn't matter. Like what matters is what is tenable or not, right? And if you go about things in such a way where, um, you know, you just like pound people into the ground and there's no room for them to, to wiggle or to survive, like you have not created a tenable situation and it will just come back and bite you in the ass in some way you don't expect. And it's like, <sighs> life's too short to live like that, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I know, honestly, it's it's really beautiful. And, and, I, and I hope that as other people hear this, especially other entrepreneurs and business folks, like I think you can have a business and have and have integrity and still be something that people are gonna aspire to be and 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 be successful and be successful for a long time and sure like there's not ten thousand armory stores i don't think that's ever been your goal or idea anyway but it's just it's it's always been in in a weird way when you (laughs) well i'll i'll backpedal a bit like there's not ten thousand armory stores but there are definitely a lot of stores that are i'll say it like exact copies of the armory in in terms of the world that you have tried to build and this you know small unique you know uh catering to brands that have not really had uh otherwise a, a large you know i mean ring jacket for example very few people outside of of japan had heard of ring jacket until the armory and i would say that's still the case to this day when you look up ring jacket i mean even online look it's going to pop up the armory and a lot of these other vendors and people that you were working with you know 
because I remember when when I was working with you, you you would use the word partnership a lot, and I'm like, this is just a vendor, and you'd be like, oh no, that's one of our partners with this or one of our partners with that, and you were always very very proud about who you were, who you were working with and and who you know we were working with, and when you think about other stores that have kind of be like, hey, let's make a store like the Armory too, we'll just base it here, or make a store like the Armory, you know, that I don't think is a part of the DNA. And I think that's why people still want to come back to the armory. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, relationships, you know, they they permeate every single part of the business, right? Like from relationships with like people within the company to like relationships with people we work with as part of long-term relationships with customers. You know, we don't really want or expect customers to buy like 50 things at once. Like we kind of prefer everything to be a slow burn because when it comes to, you know, you as a person and and the clothing that you wear, you know, this is like, this is like a reflection of yourself and it's not done overnight. It's, it's something you have to build kind of slowly. Mm. It's sort of like, I mean, Jeremy, you would appreciate this. Like you just moved into a new house. You don't just suddenly have your whole new house, like set up in exactly how you want it. It takes a long no. time to like evolve that thing. Yeah. It takes a long time to evolve that thing. And it takes a lot of understanding of like who you are, what you need, what the house is like, like what, what works for you and for the house too, you know? Yeah. And also there's, there's joy in the journey. It, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and that's something that, you know, you guys have done really well too. And, you know, I, I definitely want to jump to what you've been doing now because you shifted kind of, uh, somewhat covertly into this like video personality. Like you're, you're like an on camera guy now. Now you were on camera with an image, but now you're like on camera with video and like, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. At first I saw it and I was like, man, this seems really weird. But I was like, well, I was like, I'm sure Mark is onto something. I, I'll admit it. I'll, I'll, you know, I was like, he's know, onto something. I was like, he's, he knows, you know, I, I am always someone who's somewhat pessimistic initially, but I was, you know, seeing what you've continued to do i'm like okay this this makes a lot of sense and when you think about how you know it's very typical armory it's just like it's it's ahead of the curve and and turning into these things that are all video based it's it's been cool like so how did that happen well before we get to that jeremy i gotta say like when you were with us um you were already talking about doing a podcast and i kind of like stubbornly didn't give it the space it needed and didn't give you the encourage you need encouragement you needed to like do that with us. And that is definitely like one of my regrets. I'm definitely wow. like, you know what? Like Jeremy had a good idea and I was just too boneheaded to like give it a chance. So I'm very happy to see like Blamo take off and like really work out. Oh, you know? And I think that you are absolutely the one to do it. Like you have the right personality, the right skills. And so like, mm. I don't know. You like you say I'm ahead of the curve, but really like I'm just ahead of the curve because like people around me were ahead of the curve. And then sometimes I'm smart enough to listen to them and sometimes I'm not. Um probably more the second. Um but you know with the video thing, the video thing was actually something I wanted to do for a long time and I was always very shy and nervous about the whole thing. I was always very like and this is generally how I approach most things in life. I'm just like why the hell would anyone want to listen to me talk about clothes in the first place, right? Um but it's COVID and like, you just do whatever you can to survive. <laughs> so it's like, ooh, you know what? Okay. They might hate me. 
but if they hate me and this doesn't work, we might go out of business. So I better do my best on this one. So that's what I did. You know, I just like me and Sam, you know, we were just like, all right, the light's looking good. Let's just stand near the window and talk about a jacket for a little bit, you know? And uh, fortunately, it seems to have caught on. Like it seems to be going somewhere. And it's, it's definitely moving the needle for us, um, which is good. I'm, I'm very happy about that. And I have to say, I have, I have really enjoyed it. Because the video stuff also started um, off of the back of me coming out of quarantine. Like I did two weeks in quarantine in Hong Kong at home, which by the way was awesome. Like I know a lot of people find quarantine like difficult, but I loved it. Like I loved not having to like go out hmm. and being able to just like stay home and enjoy being at home for two weeks. I never get to do that. Like I actually plan to have vacations like this every year now because I, that's how much I loved it. Um, but you know, each, each person's experience with this might vary. Um, anyway, so like in that period, I really missed talking to customers. Like occasionally I would just give customers a call because like, like I'm pretty friendly with a lot of our customers. And so we just, we just chat, we just shoot the shit. And, um, I missed talking about our products to with people, you know? And so I treat every video as if, um, I'm just talking about the product with you, you know, cause mm. that's why I do this because I just like our product i like dressing people and i like i like talking to people about about these things that we worked on and i hope that they are applicable and relevant and useful and enriching to them um hmm. so there you go that's my that's generally my video spiel um and as for where it's where it's been going where it's progressed i think we've actually i think we're now at like 120 videos or something like that which is quite crazy are about. you serious yeah oh my god yeah um well but also like in, in in typical you know mark fashion and i say this as a compliment like it wasn't enough to just do it you had to do it well and you know of course sure your early video i don't know was probably on a phone but now you got lights you got you know because you're also selling clothes so you're trying to like i don't are you like color grading your videos i mean i mean they're <laughs> the, the quality of this stuff is through the roof it, it it got better yeah like i just taught it all to myself like i just like this is why i'm getting so little sleep these days because i'm like looking at videos on how to edit and color grade and blah blah um and you know just like slowly slowly expanding our ability on it but actually it's gotten to a point where like i need to delegate it because i'm like so exhausted every day now from like trying to juggle all these things. So I'm hoping I've just started training like one of our colleagues in the office to at least help me do some of the Photoshop work. Um, and maybe mm. eventually some of the editing work as well. And that'll take a little bit of a load off. We'll see where that goes. Cause you know, this is the other thing. This is, this is why a lot of the videos seem quite natural. Um, we knew we couldn't edit and we didn't want to edit. Like I definitely didn't want to edit cause I knew it would be a pain oh. in the ass. Right. So I, I'm yeah. like, we're going to do this in one take and that's what we do. <laughs> damn i didn't know that i thought you were editing no i've never edited i've never cut and pasted oh okay i have cut and pasted one video we've done because that video was about trousers and i couldn't figure out how to like change trousers quickly enough <laughs> so that so i edited that one so that i could edit out the gap where i was changing trousers mm. and i edited we started a new series called dress to ingest Mm -hmm. um where it's me this is the first time we've like had someone non-armory as part of the video right i go to my friend's restaurant and i interview him about his restaurant and about the dishes that he serves and for brevity i edit those which 
is very painful by the way like i don't know how people do it because i'm like paralyzed by the choice of like oh my god is that important do i cut this do i not cut this you know if i cut this is it going to look really bad is it going to sound weird um but after a while i'm just like ah, fuck it and i just like do it i mean my life got so much better on the podcast when i hired an editor this like entirely different perspective and fresh set of ears has helped me a ton and look i mean it sucks to i wish i could just like try to make every dollar in this on my own but like as i started to you know and then this you were a big part of this too and the fact that like you know the armory is your baby and like blamo is my baby but like in order to to make something bigger and to be okay with it you you do have to start to kind of like release your grasp a bit on things and also trust Totally. And bring other people into it. And that's something that I, I totally I saw, you know, from you firsthand in which you were like, okay, look, like, are you gonna do this? All right, it's on you to do it. And it's it's been really helpful <laughs> for me. <laughs> I mean, that was the really like New York, especially starting New York was such a such a kind of what's the right phrase? Like a growing moment? Sure. Yeah. Growing pain teachable or moment? teachable moment. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It was a growing yeah. pain. It was a growing pain. I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes, but I learned a lot. You know, like like when you and Jeff were working on the website, I would sometimes weigh in and I think I would weigh in like quite negatively and un- unnecessarily so too. Because yes, fine. It's not like exactly, exactly how I want to do it. But on the end, like I should still give it a try, right? So I try to be a little bit more, at least say fair about these things. Mm. Um but you know, it it takes a long time to like have. It took me a long time to like have to to learn to get that self awareness. Mm. Um, and um, I I do think things are better for it as a result. Yeah, and you know, and, and to to kind of jump back to the video stuff, I think something that I'm glad that you're doing now more than ever is really embracing the fact that you are a menswear sort of personality and figurehead in this industry. And I think generally at the beginning, you, I mean, you guys would even hide your face, right? Like you remember when you would do photos Yeah, yourself? we used to, yeah. We would just put the logo over our face. That's right. Yeah. And now I think it's great. Like you're, you have no problem like being like, no, this is who I am. This is my personal opinion. This is my, and I, I think that's great. And I think, you know, down the road when you, when you think now, I mean, I was, I was recording a episode earlier today and I was talking to this journalist and I was telling him like how I don't really want to associate so much with a brand anymore as much as I want to associate with a person, right? Like, like I, Mm. I want Mm. to listen to Mark, um, while Mark may be the armory, but like, I want to hear what you have to say, what you like. And I think, I mean, there's, perfect example when you look at like your instagram and people are asking you like well what do you think of this would you wear it with this i mean people want to know why you're wearing what you're wearing and you know like i mean that case (laughs) in point right yeah um it's always it's always funny for me to to like think that oh people actually are interested in like knowing what i'm wearing but um i've always had like this part of me that I can switch on and just be like, you know what, this is your job. So whether you like it or not, whether you feel uncomfortable or not, just do it because it's your job. Mm-hmm. Right. And to a certain extent, like the anxiety about like where the videos go well and blah, blah, like all that stuff disappeared 
when I was like, you know what, man, like, this is your job. You just got to do it. So just get on it. And uh, I was lucky that it worked out, you know, but it was, it was a lot of just that, that forcing yourself, you know? Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely paid off. But I also try to make like, I also try to make like the videos as, um, as concise as possible because people got other stuff to do. They don't want it. They want, they want actual information. Um, they want something that hopefully is kind of interesting and useful to them. Um, and if you can give some sort of opinion that they might not have heard before, but that is actually useful, like you should go for it. Yeah. But that's why like all the, what am I wearing have like, like it's always the, what am I actually wearing is, is very minor. Like, the announcements that come after the what am I wearing, I think are actually the much more important part. Well, yeah. And also I think people want to connect to you. Yeah, I guess so. What What did you do today? Oh, well, you know, you got up and you had to do this and you were in the shop. And so this is why you're wearing tennis shoes. And like, of course, like if, yeah. if it wasn't connected to you, it may not be that important or even matter. But I think this is where I've been glad to see you really lean into this. And it's like, no, like people want to know what is Mark Cho doing? And it's tough, right? Because when you do that, you obviously open yourself up to someone disagreeing or someone attacking you for it. I mean, I got tons of emails <laughs> that, that have all sorts of people who have just said silly things about me or whatever I like or dislike or, you know, but I'm still happier that I try to lead with who I am versus what someone may want to hear or see. Oh, totally. I mean, I guess, yeah. you know, you can always do you the best, right? That's like, yeah. that's the easiest thing to do. It's hard to be someone else. It's, it's easy to be yourself. Yeah. I think, I don't know. Maybe that's different from person to person. It actually, you know, this actually reminds me of something. Um, I can't remember if I ever told you the story. Uh, there's one year at Pitti uh, where like, Stefano Ricci was opening their new store. It was, you, do you remember like that huge store? They refurbished it, blah, blah, blah. And so there's a big party for it. And all of my suppliers that I shared with him were all like, have you been to the new store? It's amazing. It's amazing. That man truly understands luxury, right? But it was more nuanced than what you might expect, right? Like what they meant was like Stefano Ricci really knew how to inhabit a taste that was um that was going to work for his markets i.e like mainland china um eastern europe russia you know like it's not a look that he necessarily would have worn himself like he's always pretty like he's stylish but conservative you know um but Mm -hmm. he knew how to make products that worked for those people and like i wouldn't be able to do that i'd I'm not able to inhabit someone else's world like that. All I can do, and I can barely do it as it is, is inhabit my own world and like have my own viewpoint on what works for me. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would say that served you better than Ricci because sure, may he may have some Russian oligarch that's given him a good year. I mean, when you think of how small this industry really is and how important it is to have a good reputation and have integrity, I mean, we all know that Stefano Ricci is kind of the butt of every joke of like overpriced, unnecessary items when, you know, for me, the armory is and what you've, you know, helped build is about like building 
a long lasting wardrobe. I mean, look, I mean, you've seen me, I've worn everything under the sun, but I mean, I still will come back to classic pieces, you know, yeah. like, sure. I, I, I would run as far away as I could from a Navy jacket. Cause I wanted to wear some dumb Hawaiian thing, but at the end of the day, like where, what I grab is a Navy jacket and, oh, a Blue totally. Oxford. and you know, I mean, and it's, that's, that's my, where I want to be. Yeah, totally. So, you know, you're looking at 10 years. What, what, how are you going to try to keep this up? I mean, cause obviously COVID has been pretty crazy. You've shifted into a lot of video stuff, which is great, but you know, have you had to change other forms of expansion? Do you see yourself making more stores? Cause I know we've chatted about this off and on here and there. I think that we are at this like pivotal moment in that, like it's chaos out there. And we have a chance to rewrite to a certain extent, like what is a man's dress code? Um, and mm. I'm really glad that the army has been around for 10 years and has a little bit of influence now, a little bit of influence to steer the conversation a little bit. Um, men, no matter what, still need to look professional. I mean, not just men, obviously, men and women, but, you know, I deal primarily with men. That's my, that's my business. Men still need to sure. look professional. They still need their clothes to say, "Hey, I probably do this type of job. I am probably this type of person." Like they still need their clothing to do that sort of communication for them. And so I'm excited to see like what sort of clothing ends up becoming like the new standards, you know? Mm. Like I see some people uh, who've adopted like like street style as their u- new uniform, but I'm not sure if that will end up being like the uniform. You know, I think that um, it'll still be pretty classic menswear influenced, and you know, I really want to make sure that this new world of dressing like very much includes tailoring because I just think like tailoring is the most flattering thing a man can wear. I think that it's like a technology that's been developed for such a long time. It's so mature, you know, it's sort of like we're now on windows 10 and windows one may suck, but windows 10 is fine. You know, like don't mess with it. (laughs) So um, I, I'm excited to steer that conversation and to make things that, now people are probably a little bit more open to try as well. Like we're really big on this design called the three pocket blues on, because mm-hmm. I think that something like this three pocket blues on, which is like a cropped jacket um, with fairly simple pockets. And that's kind of a little bit like an overshirt, like could catch on in some circles. And I, I made all these designs with the intention of like, they could be done in a lot of different cloths to change the way they express themselves. And I think that they're super interesting in suiting cloths, in sport jacketing cloths. You know, I'm glad that we can continue to use those cloths. Um, and, you know, for the purists, like, please, like, I think that sport coats are still awesome. Um, and the fact that they've gotten softer and um, hopefully more relevant to people's lives is a really great thing. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, people are going to go as far away as they can from the ultra sort of sweatpants and hoodie, you know, because I mean, people are just bored. I mean, when you think of God, I mean, what month are we in? Mm. You know, it's like, and it was fun for a bit, 
to wear sweatpants and mm-hmm. whatever and work from home. And now more than ever, people are just want something different, but they also want like structure and some, I, I don't want to use the word order, but like they, they want, you know, something that is like classic that they can go back to. I mean, even guys that like I never thought would ever go back into wearing sport coats are like, you know what? I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to get a suit, man. This is I'm, when I want to, when, when this is over, I'm getting a Navy suit. I'm getting a gray suit. I'm going to dump all my hoodies. And I'm just like, wait, <laughs> who is this texting me? I'm like, oh, damn. You, you know, I'm serious when I'm just like, wow. And I think it, people are going to go really hard on that. And, and it, you're, cause you're already seeing it with streetwear companies anyway, right? Like when you think of like, um, Alien Door, which every single person is like obsessed with, they're starting to go a little bit more into, you know, it was like a classic menswear influence, but down the street. And now it's like turned into much more like, all right, we're just going to do a tie. And we're, you know, and we're doing it with Drake's and we're going to wear, you know. The AL, yeah, exactly. The ALD Drake's collaboration is not by chance. Yeah. Like there is, there is a vision on their side for like where they want that thing to go. And I, you basically hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And, and I think now too, thankfully because of the internet, like people don't want to have too much of the story told to them. Like they're going to do that research on their own. And when you look at just like the, the, catalog and the history and the library that you guys have helped create create in terms of the resources and you know not just how to dress but what to wear i think people are going to either rediscover or end up all kind of shifting to things like the armory and even things like look like patrick johnson and stuff like just different levels of classic menswear because it also yeah it still looks the best i mean if i wear a jacket and a tie or something, I guarantee you, like Elizabeth will be like, Oh wow, you look nice. But if I'm walking around in this dumbass Carhartt thing, she's not gonna say anything. And it's just like I'm still someone who wants someone to be like, Hey, you look good. <laughs> you know, like and that that just never happens with anything else. It's true. Yeah, like you know, I started this um this series Dress to Ingest, right? And part of it obviously is talking about um food with restaurant owners but the subtext all of this and for me like the end goal is for people to be like you know what if we're gonna go out for a meal we should dress nice because i think that especially now when like a lot of people are going in and out of lockdown all the time you know going out and meeting up with your friends is a really special thing and so it's like if it you know you wouldn't go to a wedding in a hoodie so like now that meal out with your friends is getting to be as important as going to a wedding you know it's it's special too so respect the occasion give it a sense of ceremony and like enjoy yourself as a result like get more out of that by dressing for it yeah just when just (laughs) no that's cool i think that that's really good are you gonna i mean you've only done like what one or i've done three of them now um you can tell because the ending was really bad on the first one and i got a little bit actually got yeah i got better on the second one and the third one I had to rush it. So it's like not my best work, but um, Alan Lowe's great and his restaurant group is amazing. And so I'll be doing like more stuff with his restaurant, but you know, like it's not meant to be just about his restaurants. Like I would actually like to like explore more restaurants in general. I'm not a foodie. Like I know very little about food. So for me, it's just intellectually like quite an interesting thing to like go on this journey. 
Well, Mark, this has been, this was really, really, really good. It's a long time coming and I'm very, very grateful that we got to chat together and thanks so much for your time and stuff. I mean, this was awesome. It, it, it means a no, lot. Man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It means a lot to not only have you on, but also like to, to have your approval, uh, whether you realize it or not, it's, it's very important to me. So. That's a man. You should be proud of what you've done. Like it is awesome. And you never need my approval. My approval isn't worth straight. Well, says you. But just saying. <laughs> Thanks. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. No one knows where they are. No one knows where they live, but they're out there. We're edited by Brendan Finn and we're produced by Blamo Media. Follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast and leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app. Do it for the B. Fill out the review. Hit me with them five stars. Look, if you want even more Blammo, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blammo to join the Blam fam. You get access to additional interviews, a community Slack, special events, and more. And best of all, you're supporting the show. So thanks so much. We'll see you all soon.